How about that, huh? Good to be with you this morning. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Brother Romeo. That means a lot to me, believe me. And we thank the Lord. Proverbs 30, verse 5, the words of Agor. Every word of God is pure. We just heard words of God. Every word of God is pure, and he's a shield to those who put their trust in him. I trust that you have put your trust in him this morning. If you have, he's your shield. And as he tells Abraham, your exceeding great reward. But one of the things that we realize as we serve our Lord, especially in a day like today, is sometimes we feel in our service for the Lord, in our testimony for him, in our living for him, that that we lack power. That that we don't seem to have the influence on the world around us and the community around us. You know, we, we can be busy doing a lot of things, you know, activity. But we don't see results always. And that's one of the things that this week in this opportunity to gather together corporately for revival is a real way to see God working in a powerful way to rejuvenate, first of all, Christians, born-again Christians. We all need that kind of rejuvenation. Amen? Amen. We get... We get we flounder sometimes. We just lose energy. We get tired, especially when we're being bombarded by a world system that is so hostile to Jesus Christ and just mocks the word of God. You live in a world like that. I live in a world like that. And sometimes we get fearful instead of being bold and powerful. We get fearful. Hey, the Lord understands that. I understand that. I succumb to that too. But this opportunity the Lord has given us this week, and I'm thankful it's the Lord's put it on the elders' hearts to do this, to gather together. And as Brother Malcolm said, Brother Dave said it too, maybe you can only make 15 minutes of one of the sessions. Maybe you can make all of the sessions. Whatever you can do. The Christian life is a life that's voluntary, isn't it? We do it out of love for our Lord because He first loved us. But if you love the Lord... This is a real opportunity to draw together with others who love him and beseech him. Why? For his glory's sake. For his name's sake. That his name and his glory would be magnified in this world through us. As his vehicles. As his instruments. Beginning in this assembly here, but there will be people, I think, from other assemblies in the region that will be joining us. I think they've been welcomed. But each one of us individually, too. Do you feel that lack of power sometimes in your life and testimony? Well, that's where I, I want to encourage us, I trust, this morning in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to move around to a few different scriptures this morning. Because we're looking more at a a subject, at a theme here, this idea of awakening or revival. Now, this is something historically that the Lord has used. He used it here in Exodus 33. It's one of the great revival chapters in the whole Bible. But there are other ones like it, as we'll see. And if you look then at the history of of the church in the last 2,000 years, there have been times when the church has kind of moved into a time of will say decline in terms of its influence, not in terms of its necessarily its holiness, but in terms of its influence in the culture. And the Lord will come along and work and put on the hearts of usually just one or two individuals. 
Most of the revivals that have happened in the, uh, the church in general have begun with a prayer meeting with one or two people that had a burden for the Lord's glory. And then others, the Lord began to add to them. And then it worked in a whole community and sometimes spread through a whole country like it did in 1859 in the great revival or, or in the great awakening in New England that did spread over to the British Isles in 1735 to 1740. The last big revival that we know about that has been testified was in 1904 and 1905, began in Wales and then spread into the British Isles and it had an influence in the USA but there hasn't been. There have been pockets of revival since then in the Congo and in other parts of South America, but not like. And, and one of the things about revival, it isn't a, a way to draw attention to ourselves. God forbid that. It's a way to see the Lord magnified through his people. And what happens when the Lord is magnified through his people? He is glorified and people are saved. That's a good thing, isn't it? People are saved in large numbers oftentimes. And, and the believers are sanctified. They are made stronger. They are made more committed and intense in their walk with the Lord. That's what happens here. And I'll just begin in verse 17 of Exodus 33. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. Personal relationship. Moses and the Lord. And Moses spoke back in verse 18. Please show me your glory. Do you ever ask God that? Lord, show me your glory. Moses had a desire to know God in a more intimate, personal way. He wanted to see the Lord's glory. And then the Lord answered in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here's a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put in you, put you, I'm sorry, in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Augustus Top Lady wrote a great hymn about the cleft of the rock, didn't he? That's where this comes from. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. <laughs> That was many hundreds of years ago. 1,400 years before the coming of our Lord. So that's 3,400 years from now. And then we read in the New Testament when Jesus Christ came, He was the glory of God in, in His face. <laughs> the face, an answer to this, you see, the Lord was here. Now what set this up? What caused Moses to have this level of intensity? Well, it's interesting to see the context of Exodus 33. Exodus 33 and 34 are, are some of the pinnacle chapters in the Old Testament and in the entire Bible. But they're set up by Exodus 32. Failure. Remember, Moses had gone up into the mountain, into Mount Sinai. And he had gone there to receive the Ten Commandments and to learn 
how to build the tabernacle that God might have his presence among the people, which was God's heart desire always to be present among his people. And while he was in the mountain, the people came to Aaron and they got tired of waiting for Moses. Where is Moses? And they said, make us gods. So that we might, this is in verse 21 of chapter 30. Moses said there, and what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Make us gods, verse 23. They shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land, we do not know what has become of him. And Adam, I mean Aaron, says in verse 24, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire. And lo and behold, this calf came out. Poor Aaron, he is really struggling here. He's struggling with his failure before the Lord's servant, Moses, and is a leader of the Lord's people. Now, you don't put gold just into the fire and a calf comes out, right? <laughs> he's, he's abdicating his responsibility here. He's saying, I mean, it's not my fault. I mean, I put the gold in and look what came out. And that is often what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to move in the Lord's people and convict us of things, of areas of failure in our lives. And I trust he'll do that this week. I hope he'll do that because that's where revival comes from. It begins in the heart of believers and we recognize his glory and his holiness and how far short we fall of that. And that causes us to have a condition of brokenness before him. And brokenness always precedes the power Brokenness always precedes the fruitfulness. You want fruitfulness in your life? You want fruitfulness in your testimony? Well, you've got to be broken first, see. You've got to admit, I can't do it. It's amazing it takes so much to show us that. I mean, for God, it's obvious. He can see it. I've been waiting for you to see that for years, he might say to us. But for us, because of our pride, because of the attitude of independence from God that we learned, we inherited it from Adam. We didn't even have to learn it. You watch it in your little ones. That independent spirit. I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> and then when you see adults that have been walking with the Lord for 25 years saying, I can do it. I can do it. Well, we should be learning it's only by dependence. What did the Lord Jesus say in John 15? The vine and the branches. Apart from me, you can do a few things. Is that what he says? Apart from me, you can do nothing. can't do anything for God. Anything that will last after this life. Do you want things that will last after this life? I do. I'm tired of building into things that will that'll all be burned up in this life that won't last, that won't survive. Wood, hay, and stubble. And so they, they had failure. And Moses saw, verse 25, still in Exodus 32, this is what sets it up, saw that the people were unrestrained to their shame among their enemies. What kind of a testimony was that for God, you see? Think of what God had done. God had not done miracle. He had done many miracles among them. He had delivered them miraculously from Egypt, right? Leading up to this. He had taken them 
across the Red Sea miraculously. They were bound up against two mountains and the Egyptian army and behind them the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. You ever been there? Not to the Red Sea, but the place where there was nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. And the Lord opened up the Red Sea. And then he was with them through the wilderness, the water from the rock, the manna from heaven. He provided for them miraculously. Their shoes didn't wear out in 40 years. That's a miracle. That doesn't happen. I don't know about your shoes. Some of the parents tell me their kids' shoes don't last more than a year. They used to, we used to try to get a couple of years out of them. But, you know, children can be hard on shoes sometimes. But their shoes didn't wear out. Why? Because God was doing a work there. But see, even people today say, just show us a miracle and we'll believe. They had all these miracles and they still weren't believing him. At least some of them, right? They were struggling with their faith. Miracles will not always enable your faith. Faith cometh by hearing. Amen, brother. Not by sight. It's without the sight, without the demand for the miracle that faith is magnified by God. It gives him glory to believe in someone we can't see. Right? That gives him glory. It tells Satan and Satan's hosts that we believe God is real, even though we can't see him. And so Moses makes a statement in verse 26. Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And I think the Holy Spirit is saying that to us this morning. And we'll be saying that all week. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Come to Christ. You on the Lord's side here this morning? You want to be identified with Him? You realize now to be identified with Him, you're being identified with a Savior, Christ, but who the world thinks, was, well, maybe he was a great teacher, or he was a great prophet, or a great martyr. And sometimes they use his name as a curse word. But to believe that he is the Son of God, and that he died on a cross for our sins, you, believe, you realize to be on the Lord's side is not to be a friend of the world. James 4, 4, right? That's a powerful statement. Friendship with the world. A lot of us want to be friends with this world system. But you know what the Bible says in James 4, 4? Friendship with the world is what? Does that sound too strong? James was a half-brother of our Lord. Does that sound too strong from James? Jacob, that's what his name means in Hebrew. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you want to be a friend of the world, you're going to be God's enemy. Why? Because the world system is at enmity with God. See? Who's on the Lord's side? And the people stood apart. Amen, brother. I'm glad you're one of them. You're not afraid to say so. And, and then we read in the beginning of chapter 33, there's a process that goes on here. Moses then... The Lord says to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. The Lord says, I'm going to be faithful to my promise to you. 
And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, Amorite, and so forth. But verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. I will not go up, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, up to this point, the whole purpose of the deliverance, why he took them out of Egypt, was that he might dwell amongst them as their God and he be their people. Amen? God saves us for relationship, not for religion, for relationship. God's always wanted that ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. He's wanted to be back in relationship with people whom he created in his image and likeness. He wants to be in that kind of relationship with you and with me. But he says, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to my promise. You go into the land and I'll send my angel ahead like I told you and you'll be able to go into your place of inheritance. But I'm not going with you. How would you like that? Would you like to do great exploits for God in this world and not be doing them with the Lord? There are a lot of people today that are trusting in themselves who think they can do things for God without God, without the word of God sometimes. And we can be busy with all kinds of activity and entertainment and things like that, but not without, without God, not with God present. Is that going to bring fruitfulness? No. Is that going to bring anything that lasts for eternity? No. no. That's right, brother. No, definitely not. And what's the response? And this is the beginning. Acknowledging failure, which is what brokenness means. And look at the reaction. When the people heard this bad news, and that is bad news, <laughs> the opposite of gospel, the opposite of good news, when people heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. The party ended. Up to this point, they had had this big party around the golden calf right at the foot of Mount Sinai. The golden calf, and they're dancing around, and, and music's playing, and they're, and they're getting immoral in the things that they're doing right there in front of God. And the mountain, you say, I would never do that. Oh, be careful. You have the same old nature they did. You're a descendant of Adam, too. And in the right circumstances, you and I could fail like this, too. Apart from Christ, apart from God's work in our lives, see. And so the first, the beginning of it all is to acknowledge their failure. They mourned over the fact that when God said, I'm going to send you on into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. They mourned over that. And he said, no, this is bad news. God, we want you with us. We don't want to try to do this on our own. We don't want the glory for ourselves. We want the glory for you. That's the beginning of revival. That's the beginning of a reawakening. And it's possible for any person, any believer, anywhere, any posture. It doesn't require a certain posture even. Sometimes we do it on our knees. Sometimes we do it seated, standing. But it's an openness of heart 
and an admission of brokenness before a holy God. And I pray, a lot of us have been praying this week, that some of us may be led to do that in the times of prayer that we have. And it's a great opportunity to do it. Now, it's not to draw attention to ourselves. It's not for ostentation, right? God forbid that. And we mustn't judge one another in that way. We mustn't assume that if someone is opening up their heart before the Lord, we mustn't assume, well, they're just drawing attention to themselves. They just want to hear themselves talk. Don't assume that. Because when the Spirit of God works in revival, people are transformed and changed and people will become like you've never seen it before. And I pray that happens. I pray that happens right here. And not because I think anybody in this room is so bad or because this assembly is so bad or weak, but because that's what gives God glory and I want my Lord to get glory. Why? Because I love him. Because he died for me while I was yet a sinner. When I didn't deserve it, I wasn't seeking him, but he was seeking me. And when somebody tells me they were seeking God, I know that they are already confused and deceived and self-deceived because we don't seek after him. We run from him like Adam and Eve hid in the garden. If we're really honest. (laughs) And that's one of the things I pray we'll see this week too. Honesty from the heart. Not just religiosity, not just Christianese. You know what that is? Christianese, just using a lot of theological words. You don't even know what they mean. Trying to impress people. Not that. Reality. That's what the people felt here. The people heard this. They mourned. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. There's a setting aside of self. See, we'll see that in some examples tonight, too, in the will of the Lord. This preparation of heart that needs to happen before even the prayer times on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And Moses took his tent and pitched it where? Not inside the camp. Outside the camp, see. Now, eventually, they would build the tabernacle, and it would be inside the camp. In fact, in the center of the camp. God's presence would be in the center among them, and that was God's design and goal. But at this point, Moses pitches his tent, and he called it the tabernacle of meeting in in verse uh, 7. And he says, and it came to pass, everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting. Notice that everyone who sought the Lord. Not everybody did, I'm sure. But I'm praying that if you're here this morning, that God's already working in your heart. And that you have a heart's desire to seek him. He says, seek me while I may be found. And he promises all who seek him will find him if they search for him with all their heart and all their soul. Amen. It's a wonderful promise. And then Moses intercedes for the people, beginning in verse 12. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray. And here Moses is interceding like Jesus Christ intercedes for his own. Moses is imitating Christ here. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people, despite all their frailties, despite their weaknesses, despite what they just did with the golden calf. Consider this. In other words, receive this people as your people. And the Lord answered him. Verse 14, notice the Lord is drawing him. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses says to the Lord, and this is a great statement. Verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. (laughs) Awesome. He says, if you're not going with us, if your presence isn't going with us, we're sitting here in the wilderness and we're waiting We're not leaving Mount Sinai. We're not going across the Jordan. We're not going into the land of Canaan. We're not working and looking for fruitfulness. We're waiting for you. If your presence doesn't go with us, we're not interested in going. Let me ask you. Are you at that place in your life today? Maybe you know the Lord as your Savior. Maybe you've known the Lord for years. But do you know him in his presence with you on a daily, regular basis? Do you talk to him in prayer every day? Do you read his word where he speaks back to us, not in an audible voice, but in a more real voice, the voice of his spirit speaking to our spirit? Oh, to know the Lord like that takes away all fear takes away all anxiety and worry. He's the God of the universe and He wants to commune with you and me. And He knows our weaknesses and He knows we fail and He knows what failures we're going to do even before we know them because He knows all things. And yet He doesn't give up on us. People will give up on you. Maybe you've had that experience. I've had that experience. Family members will give up on you. And, but God won't ever forget, forget you or give up on you or never forsake you. We are moving into the days, I believe, similar to what Micah 7 is talking about when, when Micah 7 is talking about something that's really going to be bad on the earth in the tribulation period when father and mother will turn in their children to the authorities. You won't be lied because your parents will turn you in and children will turn their parents in. And that's a really and, and Micah says, don't even tell your your spouse. You can't even trust your spouse. Now, those are days of real decline that are coming on this earth. Israel experienced things similar to that in the Babylonian invasion and in the Roman invasion under Titus. But that is nothing like what's coming. Nothing like what's coming. People want to make a mock of the tribulation period. They have no idea what it's like. Look at South Los Angeles in 1992. That's just a glimmer. When anarchy takes over and people are pulled from their cars and beaten to death right in a public street and nobody intervenes and nobody cares. That's what's coming. That's what happens when the Lord pulls back his restraint 
on evil. <laughs> He's restraining it. I'm glad he is. How about you? So let's not cooperate with the evil of the world system. It's evil enough. Let's not be the devil's advocate. The devil doesn't need an advocate. He's bad enough as he is. Don't join his side and advocate for him. I hear that. So I've heard it one time in an elders meeting. I'll be the devil's advocate. You don't need to be. The, the devil doesn't need. He's bad enough as he is. Be Christ's advocate. <laughs> be God's advocate. Stand with the Lord. Stand with goodness and holiness and righteousness and truth and purity. That's what we need. And that's one of the things that happens in revival. People are stirred deep down. So Moses intercedes. We've seen that there's failure and acknowledgement of it. We've seen there's intercession. We've seen there's repentance. The people mourned. And then we see the fellowship, the desire for the Lord's presence. And that's where I began in verse 17. So the Lord said, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. The need for fellowship, the desire for it. Now, turn with me to Psalm 73. I'm going to go to a particular chapter in the book of Psalms. Psalm 73 was written by Asaph. It was written in a time when Asaph, even as God's child, is God's representative, if you will, on earth. Looked at the wealthy people that were around him, the Gentile nations maybe, or people that were even nearby in his territory, and he was envious. Have you ever done that? You ever looked at the people around that are wealthy, that have rich? Well, you don't have to go far here to see it. Go to the coastline. <laughs> and, you, and have you ever envied? I don't have a room in 17th floor of the diplomat. And, and here I am struggling. I'm the Lord's servant. And here I am struggling. And I have to drive this old car. And I have to live in this old place with termites. And I have to do this. Be careful. <laughs> See, Asaph was beginning to realize there are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. Verse 4. Behold the ungodly, verse 12, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Isn't this true? And if you watch too much television and watch too much of the news or read it on the Internet, on your iPhone or on your iPad, you will begin to think like this because Asaph isn't unusual here. He's a believer. He's a hymn writer. He's a song leader in David's temple. And he says, ah, it's useless. Verse 13, surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I became a Christian for nothing. I washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. I'm suffering. They're prospering. Why did I even become a Christian anyway? Until. Until. He says, I went into the house of the Lord. See that? Verse 14. No, I'm sorry. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I got a different perspective. I saw their end. I'm looking at them now, but I saw where they're headed. Is that where you want to go? No. Amen. Thank you. I don't want to go there. I used to be going there. So did you. All of us did. Jesus called it the broad road. Oh, man, it's got lots of room on it. But where does it lead? 
to destruction, right? To destruction. He says, surely you set them in slippery places. Oh, they don't realize it, see? And that's one of the things that happens at revival. We begin to have a heart for the lost. People that you bump shoulders with in in the community and in the store and all around us. And and you realize, yeah, I'm okay. I'm not going to that bad place. But they are. Do I care? God cares. Do I care? We know God cares. We know that's why Christ hasn't come back. They say Christ ain't coming back because you've been gone too long. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, that's what they would say. And they mock the second coming. But God says, no, I'm not coming back because I'm not wishing that anybody perishes, but that all come to repentance. (laughs) Do you notice anybody? All. That means any ethnicity. That means any social class. That means any kind of place in education they are. God's not willing that they perish. So why do they perish? According to the word of God. Because they want to perish. Not because God wants them to perish. It's because they loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. They loved darkness rather than light. And you and I were like that before. Praise God we're not like that anymore. So let's not mess around with the darkness anymore. Let's become children of light. Let's live in the light. Let's walk in the light. Let's be rejoicing in the light. Let's be glad we're not in the darkness. Let's not flirt around with it. Let's not compromise with it. Let's not pretend with it. It is awful, the darkness is. The Bible tells us that in many places. And then look what Asaph comes to. He says in verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. He came to the same place that we just read about in Exodus 33. The children of Israel, when they mourned and set aside their ornaments. I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. How could I? I was like a beast before you. How could I think like this, Lord? That's repentance, isn't it? That's a turning. It's a change of mind. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. That's intimacy, isn't it? That's fellowship. Are you holding the Lord's hand? Is he holding your hand right now? Are you in fellowship with him? If not, this week would be a good opportunity to get back in fellowship with him. Maybe you've drifted a little bit. Maybe you know the truth, but you've drifted a little ways. Well, come back. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. Revelation 3.20, don't keep going that way you're going. Come back. You don't want to go there. You don't want to, like you told us about your son Stephen, right? You don't want to go there. Proverbs 29.1, suddenly it'll come. You don't want to go there. You don't want to mess around with evil and see how far you can get on the edge. You don't want to go there. Alice Harpudian knows a friend of mine, ours, Ruth Rupson, who's with the Lord now. 
And her brother, John Brown, was an elder in the assembly I grew up in Houston. We were very close friends and had the privilege of doing both their funerals in Houston. They were both with the Lord. They lived into their 90s. So did their other two sisters. But Mr. Brown, John and Ruth's dad, do you remember how he had that sandwich board sign? He used to go into West Palm. Ruth would take him from Boca into West Palm. You know what? You millennials don't know what a sandwich board sign is, so you can you can ask some of the other people. But where you have you make out of plywood a sign and put. You remember him, brother? Yeah, yeah, you saw him. And he had a verse, you know, about heaven and hell right there. I've got a picture of it. Ruth gave me a picture of it. I was so glad. I got to have a picture of that. And he would hand out a tract, and he never said a word. He wouldn't lecture to him. He wouldn't say. He just and you, and the picture. He's looking down at the ground and handing out a tract. He doesn't even look him in the eye. He just hands out the tract. And Ruth asked him one day, because it was a little bit inconvenient to have to take him into downtown. He got arrested a couple of times, then they let him go. Yeah, he was down at the police station. She said, Dad, why are you doing this? And I'll never forget what Mr. Brown told his daughter and what then she later told me. He said, because years ago, the Lord gave me a glimpse of how bad hell is. And I don't want anybody to go there. See, a lot of us, you know, you got friends. Oh, it's just going to be a big party, right? Hell's just a big party. You go in there, we're going to party. We'll be able to drink all we want. And then the, some religions say you'll have so many virgins and all this stuff. They, it's all a lie. It's all Satan's lie. That is not true, according to the Bible. It is a place of torment for how long? Day and night for a few weeks? No. A few years, maybe. A few, a few hundred years. That's right, Romeo. You're going to stay there forever. And you're going to be there because you put yourself there. Not God's fault. He provided. He provided it. That's what propitiation means, right? He provided the Savior. He's provided the sacrifice. It's your own fault. Thank you, Lord. The rain is a cleansing sound. And we're looking for cleansing this week, Lord. We're looking for showers of blessing. These are rain showers, but we're looking for showers of blessing. Amen? And we're going to sing about it, aren't we? And we're going to ask Him. Because we believe God's real. He, he, he isn't some figment of our imagination. He isn't, isn't some hope-so God. I know Him. Do you know Him? I know Him. Can you imagine knowing the God of this universe, the God who made every cell in your body and mine? I know him. And he wants all of us to know him. And he wants all of us to put our hand in his. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. And because I'm holding your right hand, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me too. Whom have I in heaven but you? Okay, so far so good. We say, oh yeah, in heaven. But what about on earth? You got any idols in your heart? Because those idols, he's going to show you your idols in your heart this week if you've got some. He showed me an idol in my heart a few years ago. I didn't even know it was there. But I spent time in his word and he showed me an idol in my heart that I needed to judge and set aside like the ornaments were set aside. And you've got them too. But when you come to the place of saying, there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to desire your spouse and your children and other things, maybe. 
but not like him. You with me? Is he your first desire this morning? Be honest. Be honest. Is it your career? Is, is it your education? Is it your grandchildren? Ouch, that hurts. Is it your spouse? No, it's God. It's God. It's got to be Him. There's, there's no one else you can be first. See, and that's what Asaph came to. Amen, brother. Thank you. That's right. You don't neglect them. And look at what he says. Verse 28, he finally, he begins with the word tov, the Hebrew word tov, which means goodness. It's used in the first chapter of the Bible. God saw his creation and it was tov. It was good. He says, it is good for me to do what? You want to know what's good to be doing for your life? You want to know what God says is good? It's good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So I'm drawing near. I'm putting my trust in him on a regular daily basis. And I'm declaring. I'm proclaiming his works because he is glorious. And I don't want to hide him from anybody. Hallelujah. What a savior. Paul came to this same place. I was going to go to Psalm 18 in David. But for the sake of time, Paul came to the same place in Philippians chapter 3, I'll close with that. Most of you are familiar with the life of the Apostle Paul. But he came to a place in his life where he said, All things, verse 7 of Philippians 3, All things that were gained, these I've counted loss compared to Christ. Christ is so important to me. He's so lovely. He's altogether lovely. Mahmoud. Right, Larry? Mahmoud. He's altogether lovely. There's no one like him. It's the only one that word, Hebrew word is used for. There may be other things that are lovely, but he's altogether lovely. He's perfect. He's awesome. He's glorious. And Paul said, you know what? Even my religious attainments is a Pharisee. And he had them. I set aside. Years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, he's asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I threw away all my trophies today. He said, what'd you do that for? I said, I felt like they were getting between me and the Lord. And I put them in the dumpster. A week later, I talked to him. He said, well, I just threw away my trophies. They're out in the dumpster right now. Don't go fetch them. Don't go get them back. See, when Christ and the excellency of the knowledge, that's personal knowledge, relationship, walk with the Lord. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Not that I've already attained have been perfected. Verse 12 says, but I press on and lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I don't count that I've attained it. Verse 13. But one thing I do. One thing. Is that too simple? <laughs> That, some would say that's, that's over simplicity. One thing I do. One thing I do. Keep drawing near to Him. Loving Him. Serving Him. Proclaiming Him. Beloved, let's pray for that this week. This is a privileged opportunity from the Lord. And no guilt trips. Yeah, this, isn't a, this, isn't, you know, this isn't a competition. 
Christians aren't supposed to compete like that. That's why I don't like to do that with memory verses, because some people have better memories than others. You know, you don't compete that way. You don't give more presents to somebody else just because they got a better memory from the Lord. No, we had a friend that, that knew all kind of verses. He wasn't even saved. He just had a great memory. So, I mean, that. No, there's no competition here. It's not going to say, well, I made how many sessions last week? How many did you make? None of that, right? Lord willing, next weekend we'll be talking about the life controlled by the Spirit. Spirit-controlled living. That'll be a good follow-up to the week, I think. Spirit-controlled living. As opposed to flesh-controlled living. Galatians 5.16. So join me in prayer, if you will, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing. Thank you for your attention. Lord, we just thank you. There's nothing in us, Lord. Not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory, O Lord. So we thank you for each person that's here, Lord. We thank you for the people that are here that don't know Jesus Christ as their own Savior personally. And we pray you will work in their hearts, Lord, even today. Open the doors of salvation that they might walk in. For those of us who do know you, Lord, oh, we want to know you more. We want to see you at work. We want to see your power. We want to see your cleansing and blessing and fruitfulness. For each one, esteeming others better than ourselves. We pray these things, Lord, for your glory. We thank you so much for your son, the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're so awesome. We pray in your precious name.